Amen. Can we stand and read the word of the Lord today? Thank you, ladies. That was so good. I'm so thankful for the talented people God's leading to our church, musicians, and uh, instrumentalists, and so much. And we're bracing for the fall. Fall cometh. When everybody's back from vacation, and we're looking at another service somewhere. Amen. Well, we've been talking about wisdom the last few weeks. How many of you could stand a little bit more of wisdom? Anybody have enough wisdom? Don't raise your hand. I'm going to bust you. And by the way, as we're sharing the word, please, as little movement as possible, uh, because at the end, we're going to have a very important invitation. And when people get up and move, it's very distracting. I know sometimes you've got to go out, but uh, if you've got children with you, restrain them. If they can't be restrained, take them out and minister to them. If you've got teenagers, just tell them to sit there. And all right, let's look today at the wisdom of the Lordship of Christ. And let's read three very important verses. Here they are. 1 Peter 3.15, notice, In your hearts revere Christ as Savior. Is that what it said? All right, it said, In your hearts revere Christ as the Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you why you won't go to the bar. I'm sorry I'm reading wrong up here. <laughs> See, if people are going to wonder why you are the way you are, you might as well tell them. Give them a reason for the hope that you have. Now here's the next uh, verse. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the who? Preach to me the Lord. Walk in him as Lord. Now look at Acts chapter 2 verse 36, last verse. Therefore... Let all the house of Israel know assuredly, this is Simon Peter preaching his first sermon under the anointing of the Holy Spirit. He says that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both, say it with me everybody, Lord and Christ. He's two things. He's Christ, the anointed one, and he's Lord of lords. So Lord, thank you today, Lord Jesus, for illuminating our minds, for teaching us out of your word for rearranging our lives today, for, Lord, snapping the chains and releasing things that bind us so that we can walk with you in liberty under the lordship of Jesus. We thank you for it in his name. Amen. Can you turn to your neighbor and tell him he is Lord? You can be seated. Thank you so much. And let me talk to you about this a little bit today on the wisdom of the Lordship of Jesus. We've been talking about wisdom the last few weeks. Keys to getting where you really want to be. Everybody in here wants to be somewhere in God. You want to be at a certain place. You have goals. You have aspirations. You have desires that God put there. Well, wisdom is the way to it. And the last few weeks, we've talked about the wisdom of a disciplined life. Anybody in here need more discipline? Amen. I know I do. Wisdom in relationships. Boy, we need wisdom there. Wisdom in the relationships that we allow into our life. And then last week, we talked about the wisdom of clean living. You will not grow in grace apart from clean living. We talked about that. If you missed it, I really would get the CD. These have sold out. People have wanted to know the wisdom of God. Now today I'm going to talk about the wisdom 
of the Lordship of Christ. This is bottom line stuff. This is what we ought to understand immediately, but I've noticed that myths and sort of urban legends move around through the church. Things that are shared as truth, but they're really not truth. And so I want to get to the truth of the Lordship of Jesus today. There is no greater wisdom than to live under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. The Bible says the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. You've got to have the fear of the Lord. If you don't have the fear of the Lord, there is no wisdom in your life. Well, what's the fear of the Lord? The fear of the Lord is the continual awareness that God is watching and weighing in the balances every one of our thoughts, words, actions, and attitudes. That's the fear of the Lord. Let me say that again. The fear of the Lord is when you're walking around all day long, you wake up with it, you go to bed with it, you walk all day with it. This awareness that God is watching and weighing in the balances every one of our thoughts, our words, our actions, and our attitudes. Until that awareness is there, there's no wisdom. There may be a lot of knowledge, but knowledge is not wisdom. Knowledge is a bunch of facts. Wisdom comes from God. And there's no wisdom until we get to the place where we are, have a healthy, reverential fear and awe of the Lord. Amen? And so wisdom begins there. And there is no greater wisdom. The beginning of the fear of the Lord is to realize that He is Lord. The fear of the Lord is He is Lord. He's Lord over my life. So let me, let me pop a couple of these myths that float around the church. If you're a Christian, He is Lord. You don't make him Lord. We hear people say, well, you know, I'm saved, and I think down the road I'll make him Lord. Can I give you a newsflash today? Jesus is already Lord. Amen. He is the Lord. Can you say with me, he is, he is Lord? We don't ever make him Lord. We just come under submission to the Lordship that already exists because he is Lord. Now, I got news for you. If you're not a Christian, he is still Lord. He's the Lord of the universe. Everything that we see here, taste, touch, and smell is held together by the very word of his power. The Bible makes it clear that we cannot even be saved without acknowledging that Jesus is Lord. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, Paul wrote, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you are saved. So to get saved, you've got to say, He is Lord. You've got to confess with your mouth. It flows out of your heart. It is what God has shown you, that Jesus is Lord of lords, King of kings, Lord of the universe. He is Lord. Now, the word Lord is very, very important. We need to know what it means. If we're supposed to confess that He is Lord and walk under the Lordship, what does it mean when you say, He is Lord? What does that mean? It's from a Greek word that means two things. It speaks of one who is boss and who is owner. Can I tell you who's boss of your life or who's boss of the world? It is not the devil. It is not president of the United States. It is not the president of Russia. It is not any worldly leader. The boss of the universe is the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. History is going to end at the feet of Jesus. That's where it'll end. 
Now, the reason he's boss is because he's owner. He's the boss of us because he's the owner of us. Oh, if we could just get this from our heads into our hearts, that when we got saved, we did not just choose a lifestyle that we decided to follow, but we came under a new director. We came under a new owner. We are no longer our own. We are under a new owner. We had a former owner. His name was the devil. And when we got saved, that owner had to turn loose of us. And we came under a new owner, a new boss. His name is Jesus Christ. He tells us where to go and what to do because he owns us. What this means is that every step we take is directed by the Lord who has the authority by right of ownership to tell us what to do and where to go. He's the Lord. So we don't just get up on Sunday morning and say, well, today I'm going to obey the Lord and go to church and, and do my part and punch the clock and go home and then live like the rest of the week. But no, he's the Lord and the owner 24-7, 365 days a year. Jesus has the right to tell us what to do, where to go, how to do it, because he owns us and thank God he does. You say, well, pastor, I don't really believe that he owns me. I'm kind of my own man, my own woman. You've never been your own man, and you've never been your own woman. So, yes, I was before I was a Christian, or, or there was a time in my life, and I'm still kind of that way now. I do what I want, go where I want to go. Let me tell you something. No one ever is their own. The Bible says before you know Jesus, you are owned by the devil. You are a slave of sin. He cracks his whip and you move. He cracks his whip and you've got to do it because we are under the pull and the sway of sin and under the power of the God of this world. So we were never our own. But when we got saved, Satan had to let go. And believe me, he let go with clenched teeth and he hated it. But wasn't it a great day when he had to let go of you? He let go. And you came under a new owner, a new boss, a new director. Paul said, do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? For you were bought at a price. And what was the currency? It was not a shekel. It was not a dollar. It was not a Deutschmark. It was no earthly currency. It was that precious, spotless blood that ran down the cross of Jesus Christ. With that blood, God purchased us off the slave block of sin and set us free. So can you say with me, I'm purchased. He owns me. Give him a hand of praise. That's good news. It's a good news because it's good news because his yoke is easy and his burden is light. You see, people say, "Well, I'm not going to become a Christian because they're going to weigh me down with all those rules and regulations." No, 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 no. You're weighed down right now if you're not a Christian. You're weighed down by the yoke of sin. The devil has got you in his harness, and he is a hard taskmaster. If you want to know what takes the joy out of life, the fun out of living, the skip out of your step, the gleam out of your eye, it is when you live in sin. 
Sin robs you of everything God's got for you. But isn't it amazing? Jesus said, take my yoke upon you, put my harness on, and let me be your master, your boss, your guide, because my yoke is easy and my burden is light, and you will find rest for your soul. Boy, I feel the preach coming on me today. This is good stuff. We are not our own. Jesus is called Lord in the New Testament no less than 747 times. Now, if it's in there once, it's good enough for me. But 747 times he's called Lord. In the book of Acts, we see that the Lordship of Jesus was the, the, the core and the crux of their message. Ninety-two times in Acts, Jesus is preached as Lord, two times as Savior. So dominantly, He is Lord. Nowhere in the New Testament do we find the concept of Jesus being Savior and not Lord of someone's life. We say, ah, I'm going to make Jesus Lord soon. There's no such animal in the Bible. When you become a Christian in the Bible, the Bible assumes He becomes your Savior and your Lord. A.W. Tozer, whose writings I've enjoyed through the years very much, writes this, To urge men and women to believe in a divided Christ that is Savior but not Lord is bad teaching. For no one can receive half of Christ or a third of Christ or a quarter of Christ, or part of Christ. You can't just take Him as Savior. When you receive Jesus, you get Savior and you get Lord. Scripture says the day is fast approaching. I love this. What a powerful, profound passage this is. But the day is coming when every solitary tongue is going to confess that Jesus is Lord. Paul said in Philippians 2.11, Therefore God has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee, not some, not most, not part, every knee, watch this, should bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. Oh, I love that. And that every Every tongue should confess that Jesus is Lord. Oh, I pray that God lets me see that that day. I can't wait to hear Hitler say, He is Lord. I can't wait to see, I'm going to step out here. I can't wait to see Bill Maher say, He is Lord. Now, if you don't know what I meant by that, you don't need to find out. I can't wait to see Mussolini say it. I can't wait to see every atheist say it. And guess what? I love this. Satan himself, because it said every tongue under the earth. That means Lucifer, the former bright and morning star, but now the devil, Diabolos, Satan, the rebel, the hater, the murderer, the liar, the destroyer is going to have to open up his mouth and bow his knee and say, the very one that I crucified is Lord. All that trouble he's given you all of your life, he's going to have to eat Major Crow. 
Now, why does the lordship of Jesus Christ matter? Why do we even need to talk about this? Let me give you a key now. Because Christianity won't work apart from the lordship of Christ. People say, well, you know, I tried Christianity. It didn't work for me. That's not true. Because Christianity works for anybody who makes Jesus, not makes him, but who submits to his lordship. Those who say they tried Christianity and it didn't work, didn't try it right. Because when you become a Christian, God gives you the power to walk in it. And it is assumed that he is not just our Savior, but he is Lord, and we are under his lordship. And that's the only time and way and context in which Christianity works. It was designed for total surrender. The Lordship of Christ is the hub around which the entire wheel of the Christian life rotates. You can't keep yourself on the throne of your life and expect to experience all that God has for you. It's never going to happen. Once a Christian settles the Lordship issue, I assure you, every other issue in your life is also settled. When you do this, you are Lord over everything. Something happens in the spiritual world in your life and things begin to come together and fall into place and all that God has for you is poured out on you when you give him all that you are. It's just that simple. Unless Jesus is Lord of all, he's not Lord at all. Why does lordship matter? Why does the lordship of Jesus matter? Why do we need to talk about this? Because we move forward in our spiritual growth in direct proportion to our obedience to the lordship of Christ. You want to grow spiritually? It's never going to happen until you bow the knee and he is lord over every area of your life. Until then, you're going to have stunted, marginalized growth. Oh, I'll tell you, when God touched me and filled me with his spirit, I immediately knew that there was no option. I surrendered. Jesus once asked an important question. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, boss man, boss man? You're the boss man. You're the owner. Lord, Lord, why do you call me that? And you don't do the things that I say. He said, that's a contradiction in terms. That is paradoxical. That, that can't be. That is, that is a conflict. You can't say, Lord, boss, owner, and turn around and then do what he doesn't tell you to do. Live a way he doesn't tell you to live. I'm going to have to edit out all this clapping again. <laughs> now, I know, that, I know that you're thinking because this is where we live, and I want you to know that Christianity always works. Of course it works. Behind it is a mighty Savior. Behind it is a mighty Holy Spirit. Behind it are innumerable promises of God. Behind it is all of heaven pulling for you. Of course it works, but not until he's Lord. Now let me give you the bottom line to Christianity. We cannot and do not receive him as Savior only. You don't get your ticket to heaven and then leave it there. We receive him as Lord and Savior. When Jesus is Savior, your hereafter is settled. When he is Lord, your here and now is settled. It's just that simple.
So what does Jesus as Lord mean in a practical way for you and me? Well, I've already said it, but I'm going to say it again. Here's what it means practically. He is the boss of all things. He's the boss. He's the boss. All caps. Can you say with me? Jesus is boss. Well, that's about five of you. Let's try it again. Jesus is boss. Guess what? When Saul, before he was Paul, was knocked to the ground, and a bright, brilliant light shone around him, and a voice spoke out of that light and said to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It says in Acts chapter 9, verse 6, so he, that is Saul, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Then the Lord said to him, Arise and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. Because guess what, Saul? You're no longer your own. And in a flash, Saul, the persecutor of the church, was no longer his own. His name was changed. His life was changed. All he was about was changed. Everything in a flash when he met Christ was changed. The essence of lordship came flooding from his stunned lips. Lord, what do you want me to do? There it is, right there. That means my calendar is gone. My plans are gone. I give up everything to the lordship of, hey, my time is your time. My path is your path. My strength is your strength. My abilities are your abilities. My life is your life. I surrender all. That's what he was saying. He cannot be uh, Lord of a part of our life. He's got to be in control of our entire life, the whole life. And what does the whole life consist of? I want you to understand today that you and I are tripart. We are made of three. The Bible says, 1 Thessalonians 5, 23, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So get this. Here's what the Bible is saying, that we all have an inner, private, unseen to the natural eye part of life. It's our soul. It's our spirit. And we also have an outer, visible, and public life that everybody else sees. The message of the Bible is that as goes your inner life, so will go your outer life. If your inner life is healthy, so will your outer life be. If your inner life is ill, if it's off the mark, if it's not right with God, your outer life will manifest your inner life. And Jesus desires to be Lord of both the seen and the unseen parts of us. The visible and the invisible. The private and the public aspects of our lives. He wants to be Lord of our spiritual life and of our physical life. He paid for all of it. You don't go buy a car and walk out with the transmission. You get it all right down to the Bose radio, hopefully. <laughs> the inward invisible life, the inward life, that inner part of you, the inner sanctum is comprised of the spirit and the soul. And it contains your mind, your emotions, and your will. 
Solomon wrote in Proverbs, as a man thinks in his heart, that's talking about the inner life, as a man thinks in his heart, so will he be outwardly. In Proverbs 4.23, he says, you better keep your heart with all diligence. That's your spirit and your soul. You better keep your heart with all diligence because out of it spring the outer life. All the issues of life flow out of your heart. It is in our spirit and soul that we think, we feel, we choose, we decide, we dream, and we plan. The most important battles of life are won or lost on the battleground of our private life. You win or you lose within, not without. And what Jesus wants to know is, am I Lord over every area of your life, the private and the public? Your private life is the most important part of all. Am I Lord of over, over that? Am I Lord of that? In our culture, more attention is given to the outer physical body, and it drives me nuts. i got to tell you, all we ever see is the movie stars and how they shed those pounds. And sometimes they look like a skeleton walking around, but they say they look great. They look to me like they're an Auschwitz survivor. <laughs> we read about, oh, they got their eyes fixed. They got a nose job. They got their lips puffed out. Well, now they got the fish pout. Do, 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 do. <laughs> and to me, they just look so still. I, I just feel so much better now. Don't give me a kiss. <laughs> but all the focus is on the physical. Wouldn't it blow your mind if People Magazine ran an article, a lead article, on the greatness of somebody's character? Because character is what matters. Our spiritual health is determined by the spirit and the soul, not the body. And then there's the outward life. The outward life is what everybody sees. The Bible teaches that the outward life behaves according to the contents of the inner life. The outward life involves your eyes, your ears, your lips. <laughs> no pun intended. I didn't mean to go there. Your hands, your feet. Listen to Proverbs. Avoid all perverse talk. Stay away from corrupt speech. Look straight ahead and fix your eyes on what lies before you. Mark out a straight path for your feet. Stay on the safe path. Did you hear that? What you see, what you hear, what you say, where you walk, what you do, where you go. The outer life. Proverbs says, grab hold of it. He ought to be Lord of it. The most important question of life is, is Jesus Lord of your thoughts? Lord of your emotions? Is he Lord of your speech? of your relationships, of your possessions. Is Jesus Christ Lord of your whole life? And can I tell you where the real joy is found, where real fulfillment is found, when all those things have been surrendered? Secondly, and lastly today, the Lordship of Jesus requires all the keys to all the doors of our life. Pastor and author F.B. Meyer shared a personal struggle with a friend who recounts the following story. Dr. Meyer has told us that his early Christian life was marred and his ministry paralyzed just because he had kept back one thing 
from the bunch of keys he had given to the Lord. Every key except one he gave to the Lord. The key of one room was kept by Mr. Meyer for personal use, and the Lord was shut out of that particular room in his life and confessed, Mr. Meyer, the effect of the incomplete consecration was found in a lack of power, lack of assurance, lack of joy, and lack of peace. He had kept back the key to one room in his life, and that one room brought great defeat. brought some keys with me, and I want to show you. Behind me is going to be coming some doors. Don't let them bother you. Everybody here has basically three keys. The key to your personal life, the unseen. And when Jesus is Lord, you give that to him. So he's Lord of your emotions, Lord of your thoughts, Lord of your heart, Lord over what's within. Here's the key. And until he has that key, he can't get through the door. He can't exercise his lordship. He can't bring his peace. He can't bring his victory. He can't bring his deliverance. He can't bring his healing until he has the key. Second key, blue key here, is the outer life. He's got to have control. That is where you go, what you say, who you run with. Is he being glorified in your outer life and in your inner life? He's got to be Lord. He wants to be Lord of both. So here's those two keys. So the Bible assumes that the minute we're saved, we turn those keys over to him. That's what it assumes. And if, if he doesn't have those two keys in your life, can I encourage you today, give him the key. Because it says in the Bible that he is the key holder. I hold the key to the kingdom of God, the key to the house of David. He's the key holder. He said, I open and no man shuts, and I shut and no man opens. I'm the door opener because I'm the key holder. But now, then there's the red key. I'm, I use the red one because I want to look like the blood because it's the power of the blood that opens up. Because here they are. You got your personal life, your public life, but then there's this one key, the private. Keep out, we say to God, and only the blood-drenched key of Jesus will open that door. Now watch this. It can be a person, a place, a thing that makes us hold back and keep that one door. And we say, oh, aren't I doing great? 98%? God's got 98% of my life. Well, that's good, that's not great, because Mr. Meyer, a great pastor in the history of the Christian church, said, as long as I kept one door out of all the other keys to myself, I was defeated. You know why? Because lordship doesn't work until he's lord of all. If he's not lord of all, he's not lord at all. And God pours all onto he or her he or she who gives all to him. We get all that he has when he gets all that we are. And so here's the key. And we go, it's a person. It can be a person. It can be a relationship. And some of you know what I'm talking about. And I'm not talking about your marriage. That's another Sunday. So don't start shouting. <clears throat> but it can be a friendship. It can be a romantic relationship. 
It can be a wrong relationship. It's, it's, it's a compromising relationship, and, and we, we hold on to it because we just don't want to give up that one place. And we say, well, everything else, he's got everything else, but until he has that, until he has that, there will never be fullness of joy, fullness of peace, fullness of power, fullness of victory. I'm telling you that the Lord pours out his best on those who give him all. So, so there's this one key. And I've known people who could not turn loose of a person. And for years they go in defeat because they know that God is saying, I want that key. See, we're afraid if we give him that. It's fear that holds us from giving God the key. I'm not going to give him the key. I'm afraid if I give him the key, I'm going to lose control. Or if I give him the key, he's going to hurt me. But what you don't know is when he gets that key, he comes and he unlocks the door and he opens it and he clears out the cobwebs and he kicks out the rats. But there is that one key. It can be a place. I had somebody come to me a while back and they said, Pastor Jeff, I love the Lord. I'm in the Bible all the time. You know, I, I, I really do love the Lord. I come to church regularly, but, but I can't stay away from the bars. And I know he doesn't want me in there. Well, why, what is it? Why do you go back? Well, it's the ambiance. It's the, the talking. It's the, it's the atmosphere. I'm just, for all of my life, that's what I've known. And I just don't want to let it go. So he's hanging on. <laughs> Did you know there's monkeys? Now, wait a minute. <laughs> there's monkeys in another country in Africa. Here's what they do. To trap a monkey, they will carve a hole into a gourd or a piece of fruit, like a cantaloupe, and they'll fill it full of stuff the monkey wants. The monkey will reach his paw in there, grab all that stuff, but because his little fist is full, he can't pull it back out. And even when his captors are approaching him, he won't turn loose. So they walk up and just grab the little guy because he wouldn't let go. We're so afraid if we give God this one, the per private, keep out. Lord, you can have everything, but you can't touch that. This can be a room of pain. You were abused, you were hurt, you were wronged, and it's a room of pain, memories, hurt, wounding. It has, it has controlled your life from this one room. It controls your life from this one room. This one room talks to you, controls you, intimidates you, gives you fear, gives you guilt, condemns you, shames you. But you won't turn it over to God. When he says, this is the blood-drenched key. If you'll turn it over, my blood will set you free. My blood will forgive It can be a thing, person, place, or thing. It can be a habit. Don't want to give it up. Had this all my life. Me and this habit, we got a good thing going. You don't understand that, boy, behind that door is freedom and power and victory and joy, a skip in your step, the gleam in your eye behind that door. I found that anytime God wants me to give up anything, that when I did it, it was so very worth it. And here's what you think. If only I'd done it sooner. If only I'd done it sooner. So I say, Lord Jesus, I'm going to put it in your nail-scarred hands. You've, you've got the, the private life, the personal life. You've got the public life. I'm, I'm walking with you as far as, but there's that one door. There's that one door. I just don't want to 
let you in. I'm really afraid of what might happen if I do. But when you sit, put it in his nail-scarred hand, he takes it, he hugs you, he loves you, he opens it, and you go, Now, can you stand up with me? Can you say with me, He is Lord? He is Lord. Even over that one door? Now, please, as little movement as possible, but this door right here, how many of you have one of these private? Keep out. Private, keep out. I know today that many people are going to take this key and you're going to put it in the nail-scarred hand of Jesus. Person, place, or thing, whatever it happens, it might be several keys, but it's time to let it go. You know why? Because we're about to head into a harvest where we're going to need everybody to be free. You know what? Freed people, free people. Delivered people, deliver people. Heal people, hurt people. You want to be delivered, healed, free? Because as soon as you get that handle, you're going to be able to go to people and say, in the name of Jesus, silver and gold have I none, but here's what I have in the name of Jesus. Get up and walk. we bow for a moment of prayer right now and I want you to be thinking and focusing on this one thing do you have a key like this there's a key there's a door private keep out person place or thing you say well I, I know what you're thinking well pastor Jeff I can't I, I know that if I give the Lord the key I'll take it back I know if I give him the key it won't work you're afraid that you'll fail but can I tell you, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And the Lord has a time for us here today. This is your time. You're not here today by mistake. He wants every key to every door because he is owner, he's boss, and he's Lord. So with our heads bowed, if you can say, Pastor Jeff, this was for me. And I've known what you were preaching. This is not news to me, but this has spoken right to me. And I know that the time has come for me to place that key in the hands of the Lord and let him walk into that door and into that room and clear it out and let the sun shine in, open up the curtains and let his light shine in. With every head bowed, if you can say, Pastor Jeff, this was for me. And by faith, I want to give him the key today. I want you to lift your hands right where you are. God bless you. God bless you. Many of you. Now, you know what I'm going to ask. I'm going to ask you to come to the front for one reason. Because as soon as you take a step, you are relinquishing the key. It's a step of faith. And I want you to come down to the front right now because we're going to have a powerful prayer time right now. So I want you to slip out and come. 
If you're ready to give up that key, there is a miracle and there is liberty waiting for you. I want you to come right now. And let's worship while they come, Heidi, can we? You come from all over this place. And we're about to have a move of the Spirit here. God's going to bless and God's going to touch. In Jesus' name.